So we've reached the end of the fourth season. Yeah, this was a this was a great season. I didn't necessarily like the next to the last episode, but this was a great season. You didn't like it? Um, it was a body parts. It was a very I don't know. On the one hand, it was a it's an extremely sentimental episode. Um, in a lot of ways. And hmm. it's not that the show hasn't earned that sentimentality. It's not as if I don't uh you know, feel joy at the end when, you know, for example, everybody, you know, what what happens to Quark at the end of the episode and things like that. But given the choice between... He the finds t- out that he's having a baby. It's adorable. But given the choice between the two episodes, obviously the finale is the much dramatically stronger episode. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I like body parts. And, and I, I don't want you to think I don't like it. Well, I do think you don't like it. Well, no, I think that that you know, yeah, it, it's it's it, it's interesting because you know we kind of brought this up a couple of weeks ago, but I, I think that you um, are much more invested in the show. Not that you don't like the show, but you're much more invested in the show when it's dealing with the Dominion and and the, yeah. and sort of the meta plot. And so, I kind of want to disabuse you of that a little bit because. This is still an episodic show. They are still doing 26 episodes a season. And they're going to drop out of the Dominion for like long stretches. No, no, that's... And I think that, you know, Body Parts is an episode that is really interesting for the way in which it kind of, I think, recontextualizes Quark's journey throughout the first four seasons of the show. And brings him, I think, more in line with... Uh, I mean, literally, it cuts him off from his people, his culture. Yeah. You know, w- the episode ends with uh, Brunt, Brunt FCA, um, who's <laughs> played by the same guy who plays Wayun, and interestingly enough. Really? Yeah. But we've seen, I mean, we've seen Brunt before, and I, I like Brunt as a, for, he's, I think Brunt was the first effective Ferengi villain, because, you know. Because he, he, he's not trying to be something that the Ferengi is not. He no. is the Ferengi villain that is very, very Ferengi in a way. Yeah, and I mean, it was interesting because the last time we saw him, he was very scary because he had two grunts with him. Um, In this, he's very scary because, frankly, he has the full force of Ferengi law behind him. Yeah, and I think that that it really contextualizes it because, you know, from what we know of the Ferengi so far, obviously they're they're horrible. Uh, (laughs) I I mean, horrible in the sense that they're not a a very nice culture. They're not a very nice society. They subjugate their women horribly. Um, They don't have any worker protections at all. People are sort of like just, you know, in thrall basically to to not slavery, but but almost slavery. It's capitalism to its, you know, most, you know, exaggerated and decadent endpoint. Yeah, but it also, you know, brings up things about, Quark's relationship with that about the ways in which you know we have to really um, perform our cultural expectations sometimes and we sort of beat ourselves up if you really invested in a culture really invested in a society that you're not really like you know you're not uh, uh, living up to to what you think you should be living up to which is kind yeah. of the ways in which a culture and a society will not necessarily brainwash you know its citizens but but it will kind of tell them what is normal in in effect. And I think what you're seeing here is Quark is kind of, he's becoming, he's kind of coming out as not a Ferengi in a way. And it's kind of a difficult transition for him. Well, it's interesting because this is Quark going through what, for example, Worf went through very recently and is going through in this season, uh, slowly being cut off from Klingon and whether or not he was really a part of Klingon or not. Quark has for the past few years been away from Ferenginar. He doesn't, you know, even... <laughs> Sorry, I just think it's interesting that you say Ferenginar, but you keep calling Kronos Klingon. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's... It's Kronos. Uh, this is why Richard is still not a Trekkie. Anyway. Anyway, anyway um, he, he, Quark hasn't been living on Ferengus. He is very, you know, detached from what's going on. And frankly, he, be, you know, his impression of how he's viewed when he is being honest with himself is that he is viewed as a joke between most with most people. Well, that, the thing is, too, that that, you know, I don't understand why Quark thinks he's like, I guess this is sort of a, a problem with the show because Quark is one of the main characters on a television show. And we yeah. think that everybody in, in on Frank and Arsh know who he is. But 
I mean, who is he? You know, yeah. he's not, not really famous in any way. And it's the kind of thing where, you know, Ram is saying, like, you're a pillar of the community, you know. You, you're, you're a businessman, you know. Everybody comes to Quark's. You know, as we've said several times, you know, Quark is a good bartender. Quark knows how to keep a good bar. If you want to go and have a good time and you go to Quark's, you're going to have a great time. He, he, he's good at his job. Everyone on DS9 knows who he is and everyone thinks he is provided. You know, even the everybody on DS9, frankly, knows how to work around him or how to manipulate him or how to ignore him at certain points. But yeah. beyond that, like, everybody kind of likes Quark. And so, you know, Quark... Quark's major major ambivalence is the fact that he knows in on a federation run station you know working within certain federation you know strictures he does very well but back home he is not making as much money as he could or should be he's not even turning out a profit on the home world he's just you know working at, at a bar someplace else you know there is no nobody on his home planet respects him he has the embarrassing job frankly well and i think too it's that you know he he's a good bartender as you say and he's good at running a bar he doesn't necessarily need to be good at running a business and i think that that's kind of the 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 tension at the heart of this episode and i think the tension at the heart of quark as a character is he is someone who is very gregarious he's someone who's a good listener he's someone who uh, knows how to make people feel welcome and make the you know construct a place for people to have a good time and he definitely but I don't think that he has that, you know, I mean, I'll call it a killer instinct, even though it's not really, that, yeah. that a lot of Ferengi seem to have about not having compunction or not having a conscience about essentially cheating people. And, you know, he tries to do various and sundry illicit activities, but it never really seems like his heart is in it. It seems like he's trying to make a living outside of the structures of the law more because he's not good at a legitimate business than anything else. Yeah, to a... a- a, a few a few things for going back to the strike episode one of the points that we'd said is you know what does it matter whether or not you know the workers can make their rent it's you know and, and even i believe in that episode Cisco says you know he's not charging cork rent to right be, you know, nobody is paying anything you know that is just cork you know giving some and so to a degree cork has been able to relax his he's giving his employees vacation he's paying them he you know all of those things that brunt is you know hilariously offended by are he doesn't he doesn't take uh, what does he say? He doesn't take the 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 traditional thirty percent cut of their tips. Yeah, like there is, you know, there are all these things because there is no reason for Quark to do that. But you know, well, not even Quark that there's is, no reason for Quark to do it. Quark doesn't want to do it because it's just about getting numbers up. I mean, one one of the things that Brunt specifically mentioned is this bit in Quark's past where he helped supply some you know Bajorans, you know, for at cost he did he slightly above cost (laughs) well you know either way it's quark refusing to be a war profiteer and yeah that's one of the most offensive things that he could have done in his culture well yeah and and the the interesting thing is i think quark's evolution has happened over the four seasons of the show i mean the quark that we saw in emissary is a very different character than we see in this episode Well, that's the thing with all of the characters but yes yeah and i think that the other thing too that's interesting to think about is we don't know why quark left his home world i mean because he seems to indicate that he came to the station and decided to set up a bar and it was a terrible idea and his life is shit and yeah, you know, maybe it is, but I don't really think that. I mean, Quark seems to think that, but I don't think the show thinks that. No. Uh, and so we don't know why he left his home. There's like, the one story that he mentions at one point where I had a really good, you know, apprenticeship with, you know, I was, you know, the golden child and I slept with the boss's daughter or something like that. And, uh, you know, he kind of got, it's implied that that's when he got out of town, but. Why he? Why DS Nine? How did he end up on DS Nine? Has not been answered. And why he left the planet? Yeah, exactly. I mean, he could go to another city. It's not like <laughs> you know. Well, well but, you know. To be fair, most Star Trek planets are one city. Uh, yeah, I know, but it's a little weird. Yeah, and I, I know think what you that, mean. But I think also there is an indication that Quark perhaps doesn't fit in on Ferenginar as much as he would like to, and so maybe that was another reason why he left. You know, instead of having to start over again, he just said, "You know what? Let me go. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't really like it here." And I think it all. It all it also is really indicative of the ways in which or the reason why 
Quark is so insistent on his mother living up to the the structures of of society of society that that are placed on her and his brother too. Yeah, he wants his brother and to... and and Nog. Yeah, um, we there there is a lot of talk about Quark's family in this one, and it is true that Quark does you know of the four. P- we, we, of Quark's family, we know Nog, Rom, Moogie, and we've heard of Cousin Galen. Um, yeah, Cousin Galen, yeah. C- C- Cousin Galen is probably the most Ferengi of his family. But, you know, yeah, his fr- family are a bunch of misfits and outcasts. They don't do – none of them do really what is the proper roles in Ferengi society. And also if you remember from, from the episode that we that we meet his mother, they do talk a little bit about um, his, his father and how his father was not a good yeah. – Yeah. I think they say he didn't have the lobes for business. Yes. Like, you know, and so that's kind of indicative of, the, yeah, that whole misfit idea that his entire family is not a good Ferengi. The direction that his family seems to be going in is the direction that one would be in a more open – Ferengi society. We d- we don't really know where his mother is at this point. But for example, Rom doesn't want to be the younger brother. He just wants to be this mechanic, you know, which is not a valued Ferengi thing. And he's doing very well at it. Nog is starting to do very well at Starfleet. Quark well, still wants to be a businessman, but his business is on, you know, uh, 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 on a Federation thing where yeah. his role is not so much to you know, money is irrelevant. Making profit is irrelevant to his role there. Well, I think it's, you know, something you said that just made me realize that it's very weird that Rom's situation is looked down upon in Ferengi society. Because as we've seen, Ferengi society is very, uh, you know, pull pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make your own way in the world. Everybody has to go out and hustle and make as much money as they can. Um, Who works for people? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, in a but, very, but, in a very but, but, real but, but, sense, but, but, like, Rom going off and wanting to be a mechanic and just making a wage because the Bajorans still have a functioning currency system, so he's still being paid something. And maybe he's not really looking to make a bunch of money and be rich. It's it's an interesting way that the culture is trying to... I don't know what exactly they're I trying to do because there. Because to who, me, it almost sounds like... Yeah, uh, I mean, in America, we don't glorify our, our workers. You know, somebody says, "Oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to apply to a job at McDonald's." Well, we're, you know, well, yeah, I but think there is the degree that now, of course, but there seems to be a you know a compunction against just taking a job for the wage in Frankie society, no matter what the job is. Yeah, which is strange because again, who who works for Ferengi then? The, are, are they all just supposed to be scheming and eventually be the boss? Like that's, that's what the hope is. And, you know, if not, well, you know, you're a shitty Ferengi who's just a wage owner and, you know, we're good to, just going to exploit you. And if you don't, you know, it, you know, it, 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 nobody is saying that and anybody likes the workers. You know, yeah, it. there are people who are, you know, polishing all of the latinum in, on Ferenginar and they have shitty jobs and they're barely paid for it. And they're probably going home to crappy places where they don't have a hot wife. And, you know, there you go. Great job. Way to be shitty. If you want more money, figure out how to be how to make more money. Oh, so Frankenar is America. As I said, it's capitalism to its most uh, exaggeratedly decadent degree. Yeah. So so all of all of Ferengi that are not rich are just the temporarily embarrassed millionaires mm-hmm. that Americans are. Yes. OK, I can see that. And I guess that, yeah, that does make sense because I guess that is kind of how uh, this sort of thing builds upon itself and, and, and feeds upon itself and continues itself is you have to make the people that are not rich feel like yeah. they are temporarily embarrassed millionaires. They're, they're not the people that are, you know, if you kind of get a class solidarity or you get a worker solidarity and you say, you know what, we're workers, that's fine. We want to get paid a decent wage. We want to have vacation time and sick time. You know, we want to be able to, to go to the doctor, like all these kind of things. We don't want to be the person who is in charge. Yeah. That is going to really I'm, upset the system. Quark said that, you know. Wait, was it Quark or who, who said that in the strike episode that, you know, Ferengi don't want to stop the exploitation. They want to be the ones doing the exploitation. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Rom may have said that. He, yeah, that that's but, but that's how they have the system has perpetuated itself. Yeah, I think so. Well, and then the thing is too. I mean, this episode is really uh, it's 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 got a lot of nice little touches. I think about Ferengi society because, of course, you know we haven't even touched on the idea that the episode starts out with 
Quark coming back from Ferenginar and basically saying, hey, I found out I'm going to die. I've got this disease. Yeah. And, you know, that's dispensed with fairly quickly. I think we find out, you know, at like minute 16 or something that Quark is not going to die. That is not the point of the episode. The point of the episode is to get Quark to a place where he is now kind of outside of Ferengi society. And and he's essentially having to rely on charity from from the people that he knows on the station. Yeah. But it it's a kind of weird too because it does that that fact alone and the fact that he knows the doctor is good because the doctor charges more than anybody else. <laughs> you have to I think he says something like you have to pay two slips of latinum just to go into the waiting room. And then of course once he finds out that he's not going to die, the doctor doesn't even talk to Quark directly. He calls Dr. Bashir, which is weird. Yeah. And then Quark's reaction is not, oh, my God, I'm not going to die. It's, I can sue the doctor. Yeah, he's, you know, it's almost as if, you know, that's the cherry on top. He has a successful lawsuit. That's that's probably the most delighted we've seen Quark on the series. Um, but it's, you know. And, and yeah, there's, I love how he has the line, you know. We we know that Doctor Bashir is undoubtedly the superior doctor to pretty much anybody, and how good can he be? He doesn't even charge, right? And I mean that's kind of the funny thing about it. And then of course, you know, really the the, the meat of the episode, as we've talked about a little bit, is kind of you know recontextualizing Frankie society and Quark's role in it, and you know Rom as a way out of it really yeah. and Nog as a way out of it and you know it's interesting because their mother really wants to be a part of Ferengi society and she's not able to and it's kind of talking about the ways in which um, you know they, they're having to recontextualize their entire culture for people to be a part of it and you know the ways in which for example uh, uh, so this whole the, the plot is really sort of spearheaded by okay Quark is finding out he's going to die and then he did the, they have this weird thing where they sell yeah we've de- seen which we've desiccated seen. remains and it's kind of bizarre that was back in the Nagus wasn't it yeah it was that's yeah. been very early on but and and so Quark puts himself up for for auction and Brunt bids on it and so once Frank you know once Quark finds out he's not going to die that's when the episode really kicks off because the episode is not about Quark dying the episode is about the tension between yeah Quark's you know kind of public persona about his ability to yeah be a good Ferengi and the other part of that which is yeah, but I'm not going to die. A contract is a contract. Then you get that dream sequence with the suggestions of acquisition and how it's just a marketing term. And is that true or is not true? We don't know. But I thought for a bit that that was actually like Rom did this elaborate thing where he put him in the holodeck or something (laughs) like that. And, uh, you know, yeah, and, but the show is too smart for that. No, I know. But at the same time, a kooky dream, I don't know. But Either, either way, I'm know. not a fan of dream sequences in general. But. No, but especially when the se- the series has done some very good nightmare sequences. But anyway, this is all. Yeah, everything is a means to an end. This is basically Cork needs to be in a position where he either has to. This is he is in a position where he can't avoid it. He has to either accept or renounce Ferengi society. Just as, again, Worf a few episodes ago had to either accept or renounce being a Klingon. Well, and I think that's that's really, you know, this episode, I think, is designed to really show, uh, to, to get Quark out of Ferengi society once and for all. The show has been sort of inching yeah. that way and sort of questioning Ferengi society for a while. And once we get to the point where we find out that Brunt, who embodies Ferengi culture, right? I mean, he is the Ur-Ferengi, if anybody is. That he's in charge, even of more than the Nagus. Yeah, yeah, he's actually in charge of enforcing these rules. And as we find out, he has ultimate power to seize all of Quark's assets, yeah. and you know he can't do any commerce with Ferengi anymore. All that kind of stuff. Uh, it's essentially being cast out. It's being it's being sort of um, ex- exiled. Yeah, huh. yeah. And and so what this episode essentially becomes about is Quark's journey out of that, and Quark realizing that Ferengi society is 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 based on a lie or is too strict. Yeah. I mean, you know, sort of this thing about the rules of acquisition and having that be the force for the law is, is a problem. Quark is realizing that Ferengi society is not there to help people. It's not there to yeah. honor people. It's there to make money. And that is the way in which they keep, they keep control over people yeah. because, you know, Brunt wants him to kill himself to honor the contract. And that's when Quark, I think realizes that this is ridiculous. Yeah, I think there is a degree to which, you know, certainly Quark likes profit, but again, he likes what it takes to get profit. None of the other people and none of the other Ferengi really care about what they're doing. 
I right. think Cork actually does care. Again, the way that he makes the snail juice for Rom. I mean, that is somebody who loves and you know is is supreme at this job. He, he's again, Cork is a very good bartender. And nobody on Ferenginar is gives a shit about that because he's not making the money. Right at the say at the very end of the episode, he real you know this is about Quark realizing obviously what his true assets are and realizing that you know he hasn't made money, but the wealth that he has been gaining up has been the creation of this place. Yeah. This, uh, you know this fun, this 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 continuity between the regimes that Tarek Nor DS Nine has seen. The fact that this is a, in a way a haven in the midst of all this chaos. It's someplace fun to go and get away from that all of the characters do. And this, you know, that is what Quark has built. And you know, again, the Ferengi can't recognize that beyond, of course, Rom and all of that. Uh, yeah. But Cisco, Dax, Bashir, all of them know exactly what Quark is, has, has done. Yeah, yeah. And I also think it's, you know, I agree with all of that. And at the end of the episode, of course, I think it's funny that Quark, he's he says, oh, you have to charge, you know. Oh, well, yeah, it's they're, like they're they're saving the face. Exactly, saving face. And I think Cisco realizes that. Yeah. You know, he's like, okay, fine, <laughs> you can get away with that. But, yeah, and I think that at the end of the day, you know, I don't know... I mean, I don't know. Do you think that this is going to to have a sort of status quo kind of change, or is this just kind of like? Terms, well, in terms of you know, obviously the you know the set is going to be more or less the same, probably some different furniture or whatever. But you know, we'll go back to Quark's. Quark is operating. I mean, that was probably the furniture they just cleared out of that set. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. You know, season five begins. You know, Quark will be behind the bar. Everything will be normal. Going to Quark's will be the same. You know, anything that you know they haven't you know put in is going to be replicated behind the scenes in the next couple episodes. Yeah. Um, in terms of though, what that means for I mean, again, now, now Quark has to, you know, you know this is a the, let's go back to root beer. You know, to a degree, I said this was a very sentimental episode, and there is, uh, there is an element of you know sappy stone soup at the very end of this thing. You know, there is a root beer too sweet feel to the end of it, but at the same time, the Federation did the right thing by Quark. The Federation is the one who, you yeah, know, yeah. The Federation are the one who has his back. You know, Quark doesn't know what he's going to do. He and he has no idea. You know, there is no. He has no resources, and but it is the Federation who gives gives it away for nothing for just yeah. because they know he needs it. Yeah, you know? he yeah. doesn't even need to ask. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So obviously, his view of the Federation is going to change a little bit, as as is frankly. Odo's after this next episode. Yes, but before we talk about that, we also have to talk about the other thing that happened oh, yeah. in this episode, which is that Kira is now pregnant. Yeah. Now this is a little strange. I don't know exactly how much there is to say about it. I mean, obviously they did this because Nana Visitor was pregnant. Okay, I was I didn't know that, but I was curious. Yeah. yeah I mean, they needed to cover up for it somehow, and this is how they chose to cover up yeah. for it. Okay. <laughs> I It's a weird <laughs> It's a weird thing that you can only do in a science fiction show. Normally, yeah, normally they would just have her carrying packages for the, Yeah, or just shoot her from, you know, the Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, you know, the not the way She'll be stuff. behind the desk in the next few episodes or you know, but piloting. she won't be because she's pregnant. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think you know it's nice because we do get a little bit of it, it, it's the crew as family that I don't think DS Nine does very yeah. often. Yeah, and mean, it's, it's something not, that TNG did a lot, but and it's this, also not the whole crew. It's just these three members of the crew. Yeah, are, one of the notes I wrote at the beginning of the episode was, you know, in 2016, the idea of a surrogate isn't that weird. You know, in 1990, 20 years ago, 96? Something was, like that, yeah. 20 years ago, it wasn't quite as common, especially, uh, you know. So to me, I don't see much of a weirdness. But frankly, the O'Briens and Kira figure out very quickly a way of getting over the weirdness. You know, yeah. This is a – it's an unusual situation for everybody, even within the world of the show. Well, and it's also an unexpected situation. Yeah. Oh, because, yeah. Because, of course, a surrogate is designed at the very beginning yes. to carry your child for you. Uh, Kira was not. I no. mean, Keiko was pregnant. Keiko had the baby inside of her womb. And then something happened, and now the baby's inside of Kira. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, it's an, an, it's, and it's also implied as Bashir doing an extremely unorthodox solution that he just kind of 
thought up at that moment. Now um, we could say, okay, this would never work. No, but, but it doesn't you know, matter. But it doesn't matter. It's a science fiction show, so you can get away with that kind of stuff. <laughs> Again, next step in the next episode, we're going we're gonna to have some major things which we will say, well, it's a science fiction show. Star Trek is able to do this kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, it's a nice little thing. I think it's probably the best way they could cover up a non-visitor's pregnancy. I don't really have a problem with it. I think it kind of it, – it's nice because, you know, it doesn't necessarily happen in this episode so, so much, but it does kind of show a different side of that character a little bit, a little softer side. Yeah. And it also, I think, in a weird way, shows the commitment that – O'Brien has to his wife as well. Oh yeah, because I don't necessarily think that he wants Kira to live there. I don't know that Keiko wants Kira to live there, but and no, and, you and know, I don't Kira think Kira, doesn't. I don't even think Kira really wants to live there. But, but at the same time, you know, I, I number one the so you know Bajoran women have a gestation of five months. It said, and Kira was a couple of months in. So this is only. You know, if if this is the situation in three months, still it's yeah. surprising. You know, she's yeah. going to give. You know. As soon as she's able to give birth, you know, Bashir is going to induce labor, obviously. But at the same time, it is the three – you know, the three of them are having – frankly, this isn't something Kira necessarily wants to go through on her own because it's not as if she decided to have a baby or, you know – Right, right. You know, became pregnant. You know, this is just a weird thing that, you know, is not even her child and that she made no, you know – she made no overtures towards this end. Um. With Keiko, as she says, she misses being able to have her child, frankly. She's missing out on the bonding that, you know, she did with Molly. And even though this is with Kira, Kira is being, you know, she's feeling the baby kicking. And she's still going to be there for the different stages. And frankly, see it from outside. I think Keiko is going to be pretty okay with not having to go through labor this time. Maybe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and for O'Brien, it's also a way of having you – know, I think it's very interesting that they make this temporary family for a little while. So I guess my question is where that's going to go after the baby is born because after this uh, – at, at the very end, uh, Kira you know, and Molly – Kira begins to be Molly's you know, fake aunt. Right. She has that relationship. So she is – no matter what, going to be an indel. These people are an indelible part of each other's lives now. Yeah. After yeah. after Kira's being the surrogate for this baby, she's not right. going to just give birth and then go back to work. And then they're calling her Major Kira and Mister O'Brien at that point. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. I don't know. Yeah, but I think it's a nice little thing. All right. Well, let's talk about the season finale. <laughs> Broken Link. <laughs> This was a hell of an episode, and I will say this is one that I had no idea where it was going to go. There, I did. I made a deliberate point not to look at the time of the episode. Yeah, because there were several points when, for example, I, I I didn't know if the episode was going to end with them just getting to the new founder planet, for example, or or what would happen. This is, uh, I think. It, this is an episode that goes a long way. I mean, well, this is one thing that DS9 is really good at, right, is is ending the episode earlier than you think it's going to end and yeah. then having a totally different thing happen. And, you know, they cure Odo. The, they find the, the changelings and they go to cure Odo and it's like 35 minutes and you're like, oh, okay, well, what the hell's going to happen for the next 10 minutes? And then, of course, yeah. you know, he comes back and he's, he's human now, which is weird. But again, uh, we... We this is Star Trek. We can accept that the if we can accept that they can make the disease from the quickening, we can accept that they have the resources and technology to do that. Yeah, yeah, and and it's also you know so how the episode starts out is really interesting because Odo is he collapses essentially in yeah. in, in uh, Garrick's shop, and well we didn't even talk about it in the last episode where Garrick is sort of like trying to kill Quark, which is <laughs> cute. But anyway, it's been a couple good weeks for Garrick as well. Yeah. And so, you know, he does that and he's trying to set Odo up yeah. on a date and, you know, why not? And then he collapses but in it's a nice, shop. It's a nice moment because he yeah, – that is kind of a moment of friendship between the two. He's trying to – Well, it's a moment of friendship and it's also establishing the idea – you know, because the show is sort of, I think, wisely gotten away from Odo grumbling about humanoids yeah. as much and talking about oh, why, are they, why are they so into this and why are they so into that and why do they like to poop or whatever the hell he says. <laughs> and – you know, and so it's one of those things where the show is sort of oh god, Odo's remind- about to poop for the first time. Yeah, uh, he's going to be there. It's reminding the audience of 
the fact that Odo is not a humanoid. He is not a human. He doesn't necessarily have the same responses to things that we think people should or would. And now, of course, you know, 40 minutes later, Odo is now a human. Mm -hmm. So he gets to, you know, everyone's really excited for him. He gets to, you know, Garrick says, oh, you get to experience all these new foods. You get, you know, and Odo's just not into this. I mean, he really. Well, it's, this is Odo being cut off from a place that he had ambivalent feelings for about. This has been where most of the characters have been, a lot of the characters have been going. You know, first we have Worf, now we have now we have Cork and now we have Odo, who are forever changed uh, physically in Odo's case, but who have crossed a river that they can't uncross anymore. Yeah, and I think in a lot of ways that that establishes DS Nine as a very different place yeah. than say, the Enterprise from the from from TNG because. Yeah, TNG was the place where they lived. I don't know that any of the characters would really consider that home. No. Maybe a second home. Whereas uh, Probably Wes was about the only one who did. And now he's off flitting around with the pedophilia. The pedophilia tra- uh, pedophilia he waited. <laughs> okay. But DS9 is very, very specifically a place where misfits go and end up. I mean, you've yeah. got, I mean, really you've got Odo, you've got Garrick, you've got Worf, you've got Quark, you've got Rom. These are a lot of different characters that don't necessarily fit in, in their societies yeah. or are not allowed to go back to their societies. I mean, we now have three characters that essentially are exiles. We know that Garrick can't go back to Cardassia, even though he's, weirdly like is he working for Cardassia is he doing this to try and get back into their good graces and I want to talk about that very short scene with Garrick and the female changeling because my god but um <laughs> you've got Quark who's an exile from from Ferenginar now and and you know you have Worf who was kind of an exile from the Klingon people you have Torazil who's not a main character who's less of a character than Garrick but who also is exiled from her place you have Dukat who is exiled in his own way right now, mm-hmm. who is what, you know, whatever he ends up doing, he's not hanging out on Cardassia and doing what he exactly wanted. Um, right, right. And then in, I think in the back of all of this, the show wisely sort of remembers and, and reminds us that the Klingon threat is there. I have to say the episode did a brilliant way of misdirecting. It's this clip we see towards the beginning of the episode, but everything, all hell's breaking loose with the changelings that... Yeah, at the last scene, I had completely forgotten about that at that point, and that, but suddenly it turned out to be, you know, us spending the entire episode worrying about what the changelings are going to do and what their next step is going to be, and suddenly we're blindsided by the Klingons, you know, taking the first step towards war. Well, as it turns out, of course, I mean, the you know, get the elephant out of the room. The episode ends with Odo saying, "Yeah, the famous line: Galron, the leader of the Klingon Empire, is a changeling." And he takes like five minutes to say it. It's like fucking say it. Oh God, fucking say it. Oh my God, it was awesome. And of course, we'll find out what the implications of that yeah. are in two weeks. <laughs> but the thing is that the episode is. You know, it's it's sort of like for it begins with the Klingon threat, and we think that's going to be kind of what the episode is about. It turns out that's not what the episode is about at all. And also, it's not really about the changelings as much as it is about Odo and yeah. kind of him getting thrown out of changeling society, even though he was very ambivalent about it. But everything that we found out, I mean, this episode was kind of, or this season in a lot of ways, I think, was kind of a kind of a place setting season, I think, for kind of establishing new information about the Dominion. You know, we got the episode from last week, uh, you know, which was about recontextualizing and giving more information about the Jem'Hadar. We get information about the Dominion and how they operate with planets that defy them in the quickening. And we also now have more information about, and all the information that we get is more and more horrifying. Yeah. Because it's implied, if not outright stated in this episode by the female changelings, that they did this to Odo. Oh, yeah. So that they made him sick, yes. That they made him sick well, in order to get him to go back to the Great Lake so that they could punish him for what he did at the at, in the adversary, the season three finale. That was a very and yeah, that I, I, we said you know that chicken is going to come home to roost, and it's interesting because you know, the female changelings gen, 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 generally suggest that they, as a whole, were completely blindsided by 
what to do with this. I mean, at one point, it's they say it's never happened before. Yeah, now, whether or not you believe them, I don't know. But, but at one point, you know, Odo asks why they took so long, and she basically says, "We really had to figure it out. Like they had no idea what to do." Obviously, now, obviously, part of what they did was preparing this punishment if they decided that he deserved it. So yes, that took part of the past year, but yeah, this is such a monumentally horrified this is something that the changelings are a little horrified by well s- i would say some they of are. them they, maybe they, well given they do make it, it, it it's a bra- horrified by there being a changeling who would kill a changeling again i i they i have no reason to disbelieve that this is the first time this has ever happened frankly if they had ha- if this had happened before there would be a mention to odo of any time you know so a changeling has killed another they've been punished severely they they make it seem like they almost make it seem like they had to invent changeling justice just for this specific case because i guess yeah i mean when you have a a, a species that essentially lives in a giant pool all intermingled yeah. together and their thoughts are sort of coalescing i mean the, the the changelings obviously do have individual personalities and are individuals within the the changeling collective i'll guess i'll call it even though it's not really a collective but it is this sort of like psychic link and they very explicitly and very very concretely are all together they're a yeah. one they're one entity when they're in the great link even though it's kind of one of many and et cetera et cetera you know and they do have disagreements with each other because she does say as you said that they took they had to take yeah. the year to figure out what they wanted to do with odo and as it turns out they still don't really know what to do with him. Yeah. I think that, you know, the implication is that the decision even to bring Odo back was was fraught and they weren't able to come to a decision until very recently. Yes. Uh, one of the things that's interesting is so the the episode implies again or outright states that the the changelings did this to Odo. Yes. And interestingly enough, um the the creators of the show indicate that it did happen last week because in that scene with Wayun and Odo Wayun infected him with this virus then. So that indicates to me that they made the decision to get him back that recently. Yeah. He wasn't actually sick that long. And so I it, was there a specific moment like if I rewatched the episode where the Wayun touches him on the shoulder at one point. Okay. And that's that is the that is the moment when when the, the writing staff says that that Okay. That he infected wow. him with that virus. So that's, that was that that's was a nice bit of foreshadowing. I didn't even notice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's you know, and it's it's weird, right? Because Wayun, I mean, you can't really see the Vorta touching a changeling, right? Like that's not something mm. that they would do. I mean, the changeling seems to be they're very hands off yeah. with them, you know. And so that is kind, you know, it doesn't really and click that, that much at the time, but it is weird that Wayun would feel right. comfortable enough to do that. That frankly recontextualizing Wayun's is is that the scene then Wayun's when he's saying you know come back and mm-hmm. you can so that's probably that seems like almost him giving his last like this is your last chance if you can come net back now we'll be okay and when Odo says no then he all right you know and we're gonna do we're gonna do this the hard way yeah that's yeah. really interesting it is and it it indicates exactly how horrifying. Yeah the the changelings really are that mm. they would do this to Odo. I wonder then if that entire pr- plot of that episode was a setup by the changelings just to get them involved and to you know maybe maybe not and frankly to I mean I don't think it's yeah. ever revealed one no or the other but this is these are I like that the show supports this kind of fan in though yeah 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 yeah, yeah exactly mm. and you know I think that I want to talk about Garrick in this episode too because. Mm. Garrick is coming to a very interesting place, and I want to ask you what you think of the way where they're taking the character of Garrick because he yeah. is, you know, there's a new information. We, we still know that he's kind of a shady character. We don't really know what his background is. We've, we've learned more and more about it, but we still don't really know exactly what's true and what's not true. Although I think at this point in the show's run, I think you would agree with me that it is very likely that he at least was a member of the Obsidian yes. Order, right? And so that's kind of okay. We we get and that. Probably a fairly he was probably a fairly high ranking member. He was likely an apprentice to that one guy. That's the in Aubrantain, yeah. Yes, it doesn't necessarily matter. And I love that in this episode they essentially hire him for his ability to be a bullshitter. Yeah, yeah, because. 
Or do they? I don't know. Well, I mean, they, I think that's they, the interesting thing is that maybe Garrick is doing this on his own accord to try and get in with Cardassia again. That's part of it, too. In the same way, interestingly enough, because you mentioned Gold Ducat before, that Gold Ducat is trying to do his own thing to get back into the good graces of, of the Cardassian uh, yeah. civilian government. Well, I, I would say that— Maybe that's just a thing that Cardassians do. Here's the thing. With Ducat, you, you, you say all the time, oh, he's sociopathic, and I'm trying to look at his motivations as just— purely selfish. Garrick has plenty of purely selfish motivations. Yeah. But at the same time, he is the kind of, you know, for example, at the, at, you know, the beginning of this episode and the end too, he's trying to set Odo up with this woman. And while there is part, you know, while he is certainly going to score a couple points from that, I, 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 there is a degree where I think Garrick just wants to make, you know, wants to make Odo happy. This customer probably did mention that, you know, she sees Odo all the time. Oh, do you know him, Garrick? And well, Gar- I, I think I think Garrick does like Odo. Yeah, and so I think this Garrick episode sees, Garrick sees this woman who has a vague resemblance to Kira and figures, here's how I'm going to get him over. Yeah, he's teasing her, you know, teasing Odo. Yeah. Then he, of course, when, Go- when Odo collapses in his shop, he does calls, yeah. you know, medical very quickly. And then, of course, he also, you know, he has a a, a motivation for wanting to go on this trip. Mm-hmm. And I think that. You know, whether I think the show is very wise, you know, it's very wily about the fact that we don't really know if a Cardassian agent or the Cardassian obsidian, well, the obsidian owner is essentially destroyed at this point. But, yeah. you know, the, whatever force in Cardassia that's still being a spy kind of organization, uh, we don't know if they actually contacted Garrick and said, hey, you know, when you if you get an opportunity to go yeah. and ask a changeling what happened, do it. Or if he's just doing this of his own accord, if he I did. tend to think it's that. But yeah, he, he sees an opportunity to get again. I think this is a situation where uh, where Garrick's motivations has three or four different motivations for going on this thing. And yes, part of it is and part of it is gaining some currency that he can go. He reports this to whoever there is to report it to, whether or not they solicited the information, they're going to make some use for it and they'll remember it. Uh, Garrick, at the same time, I think Garrick does have some genuine curiosity and worry for what did happen to those ships. Uh, yeah, I think so. And I think that Garrick is looking at this as an opportunity to establish that he still cares about Cardassia, even though Cardassia doesn't care about him. I think when... I mean, there's a little bit of an abused yeah. you know, child syndrome in here, too. And... And, you know, it's funny because that scene between him and the female changeling mm. is is so indicative of how the changelings see all of everybody well, else. Well, it's been interesting to see I how mean, they interact with the Federation versus how they interact with the Cardassians. The, the changelings well, don't like the Federation. The changelings don't you know, have made it clear that they're not to be trusted, but at the same time, they are civil to the Federation. That When the Federation comes up and says, please heal Odo, even though it's the Changeling's plan, the Changelings go through it. They could have... The way that the Changeling interacts with Garrick, like he's, he's scum. She is very... She says you were doomed the moment. She's being... She says... You are dead. Yeah. Cardassia is dead. Yeah. That's and a, you don't even know it or something like that. I mean, that's like, com- she dismisses him. Yeah. Compare I mean, that, that scene, to how the changelings have interacted with the Federation. That scene takes about 30 yeah. seconds. Yeah. She has no time for this. She says exactly what she wants to say. Garrick gets the message immediately. And Garrick, of course, to his credit, says, it was a pleasure to meet you. Yeah. You know, he's very smooth. But yeah, I think you're right. I think that, that you know, I don't know. I think that... The Dominion, well, not the Dominion. I think the changelings in this episode specifically, and as we've seen them so far, there's no reason for them to be outright hostile to yeah. anybody unless they have been outright hostile to them. Yeah, the Federation hasn't made a strike yet. They're, exactly. They're still dancing around each other. It's still a cold war. When the first shots are fired, which I assume is going to happen soon, um, the changelings will have a very different demeanor towards the Federation. But... There's no reason to get there yet. Well, because what the what the what the changelings are really saying in that scene, or what they're revealing about the changelings in that scene, is that if you cross them, that's it. There's no going back from that. I mean, we don't know exactly what they're doing to Cardassia right now. We don't know if they have agents there in the same way that apparently they have agents um, in the Klingon Empire. But it's very clear from what she says, mm-hmm. how she says it, and the 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 rapidity with which she says it. I mean, it's it's a very quick scene. They probably have that. Yet- that 
they she has no patience for Cardassia, and they are Cardassia is a walking corpse, and they don't even know it. Yeah, they have plans and, that are in motion, and they're just not ready to go yet. But yeah, as also, far as she's well, concerned, they're done. Yeah, and the other thing too in that scene, which is really uh, amazing to me, is that Garrick. I think in that episode when he's shocked, but he can still cover it. Yeah. He's realizing that he was naive. Yeah. And Garrick is not someone that Uh, thinks of himself as naive in any way, shape or form. Yeah. There was a, we've seen the Cardassians take prisoners secretly. We've seen them keep people for things. And we've seen (laughs) Captain Picard. (laughs) Um, but we, 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 I, I, for, for Garrick, he feels that if he were the kind, if he were in the, the the changeling's position, he would have you know kept as many Cardassians as he could prisoner for a bargaining chip, because at some point prisoners are really nice bargaining chips, particularly if an Abrantane is one of those prisoners. And it would be one thing if she says yes, no. In the battle, they all the ships were destroyed. He was either here expecting to hear either alternative that. The changelings cold-bloodedly slaughtered all of them, and not only that, consider Cardassia a an, a finished subject at this point. Yeah, that is shocking to him. Well, and also I think, you know, not to complicate things, but is that true? Of course. Is she lying? Of course. We don't know. I mean, that's the thing about the changelings, and that's the thing. We've talked a little bit about this before, about Deep, about Deep Space Nine is the Star Trek show mm-hmm. that— uh, really says, you know what? We may not know what their motivations are, and yeah. people, you know, because we've said, okay, well, TNG takes everybody at face value, and everybody kind of deals with themselves on the up and up, and nobody's really yeah. lying. Uh, DS Nine is not that show. I, I think I, I've normally said it, it's funny because a lot of I've said about a lot of the things the Dominion said. Well, I don't think they're lying because there's no reason to lie. Specific one of the you know biggest in. Examples of that was there are four agents on Earth. There is – again, I genuinely feel that's such a specific number that there's no reason to lie on it. So what's made clear from this is whether or not there are Cardassian prisoners, they're not being used as a bargaining chip. The Dominion is not interested in negotiating with Cardassia. If there are prisoners, it's only to figure out the Cardassian anatomy to better slaughter them. Yeah. And that's what fucks uh, Garrick up a bit. Yeah, yeah, and of course he goes a little insane because he tries to take over the 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 weapons on the ship and destroy them. And but at the same time, is he necessarily wrong? He would destroy the Dominion in one fell swoop. I mean, I think or is, that, I mean, of course, are there is there another changing planet we don't know? But well, I I I, I think the show believes that he's wrong. You yeah, know, this, oh yeah, this is still a Star Trek show, and Star Trek, as a general rule, does not believe in genocide. No, so. Yeah, <laughs> and, and the Federation still thinks that 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 the Dominion can be negotiated with or can be reasoned with, and I think that this episode is going a long way towards saying, well, you know what? They've outright said that they're going to destroy Cardassia at some point, or that Cardassia is a, is a just yeah. non entity to them at this point. They don't care about it, and they'll get around to them when they get around to them. Uh, and they've also it's on the schedule, but we have so much to do. We're a goddamn Dominion here, people. Right. It's also revealed that they will go out of their way to po- essentially poison and give a member of their own species a, a deadly disease mm-hmm. just to bring him back, so that they can punish him and turn him into a human. You know, there's a lot of stuff here which is really dark for for, for Star Trek in general, but I think it all works, and I don't think that there's anything that really goes against what the Federation is trying to do. Yeah. And in a way, I think that the Dominion is a good analogy or a good sort of way for the show to really it's becoming clear to me and i don't know that it's becoming clear to you that that i think the dominion is a way for star trek to kind of have a conversation with itself and to say okay how how far can our ideals go when we come up against an enemy that essentially can't be reasoned with well that was part of the that's part of the board yes but but in a way that twists the knife even further again each each incarnation has been a darker version of that of course as we said, TNG was rebuilding this world, reintroducing some things, retooling certain concepts. DS9 takes that world and says, well, what's, the anti- what's the antithesis of this world? And it turns out to be the Dominion. Yeah. What is the antithesis of the Fed- Federation, the Dominion? At the same time, as it finds certain bits of corruption or things that aren't necessarily the right decision coming from the Federation. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. But I think it – but it is the kind of show that believes that ultimately the Federation as a whole, while it may be staffed by people who are fallible and may make the wrong choice at times, uh, generally wants to be better and is – again, the Federation comes from that woman in uh, past tense who – was working at the center and wanted there to be better ways of treating people and wanted there to be more equitable distribution of resources. That is the core of the Federation, no matter what. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see where it goes. I mean, it, it's obviously a huge cliffhanger for the show. Oh, yeah. On. You know, I mean, they're going to deal with that. There are. So, again, we have this is a complete reset on a lot of things, both obviously in Odo because he is going to be completely different this frankly puts a very different spin on his relationship with kira now by mm-hmm. the way yeah, uh, it does sure because yes she may not have had any feelings for him as a changeling but you know thinking that that might, you know, wasn't even on his radar but mm-hmm. uh frankly i'm now sad to know that we won't see luxana again because she would be a very interesting person to be around odo right now yeah uh but and then now this is going to be now the Klingon situation is coming to a head. As I said, this is their first step towards making a pretext for out and out war with the Federation. And it also recontextualizes their actions for this entire year yeah. too. Oh yes, it's curi- I, I I am curious at what point Garon was taken over. It's I don't know what part of the next season will be figuring that out. Uh, I right. don't necessarily know if it necessarily matters, but at the same – because this is what we have to deal with now. How do you go about proving that the head of the Klingons is a changeling? Well, we'll find out in two weeks. Why two weeks? You'll find out in a minute. But if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes we just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. Also, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash trek about show uh where we will reveal what we're doing for the june patron special which is coming out next week in uh, just a couple minutes uh our social media username is trek about show and you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram and of course please leave us an itunes review if you feel so inclined we would greatly appreciate it and it is the best way for new fans to find the show next week we are not talking about deep space nine <gasps> we're going to be talking about the second tng movie what? Star Trek First Contact. So we're going to go and revisit some old friends Aww. in a kind of shitty movie, Aww. but maybe not. I so don't want Generations. I don't want to make... Yeah, so gener- we're watching Generations again because oh, we loved boy. it so much the first time. Uh, no, it's Star Trek First Contact, and uh, the June patron special is actually about uh, Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens' novel, Star Trek novel, Federation, which is a kind of different spin on what First Contact is about. So oh. we thought that was kind of a nice little way to... You know, compare and contrast. And also, Richard gets to read his first Star Trek novel. I know. I did read in, like, fifth grade. It was a, in middle school, it was a Star Trek Academy book, and it was all about, like, Worf and Star Trek Academy. So we're just finding out more and more information that the entire premise of this podcast is a complete lie. I mean, that's all I remember about it. Okay. Well, so join us next week for our discussion on Star Trek First Contact, and then in two weeks, we'll get back to DS9. And, of course... Please become a patron and you can listen to our June patron special. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you then.